0: Hello, everyone. Welcome back. My name is Dr. Beth Trammell. I am your host, and I'm a licensed psychologist and an associate professor of psychology at IU East in Richmond, Indiana, where I'm also the director of the Master's in Mental Health Counseling Program. And talking about um, school shootings has been something that continues to be heavy, but Necessary, unfortunately, um, the number of calls or emails I've gotten from parents or news sources or, uh, you know, fellow psychologists or counselors to say, how do we do this well? And so I am so happy that uh, my guest, Jackie Tyrell, has come back to be on the show with us again uh, to help us have this conversation. So Jackie, tell us uh, a little bit about you, introduce yourself to folks, and then tell us
1: one fun thing about you. So thank you for having me, Beth. I am Jackie Tyrell. I am a, a therapist in the Baltimore area. Um, I used to actually work in a school setting, which is why my head was kind of in the space to um, about these topics. And so I was really, really influenced by that specter and that and that piece of me. And thinking about the kiddos I used to work with and and how we can speak to them really, like I was really drawn to it. So I, that's why I'm here today. Um, so anyway, an uh, interesting fact that I haven't already shared. Let's see, not one particularly about me, but I like to share this one because I think it's a fun one. Um, it's about my grandmother. So my grandmother actually used to be in the circus. Um, and No kidding. She used to ride um, elephants with her sister um, in the circus. I don't know how long they did it for, but they did. They traveled and um, they did all kinds of interesting shows together. Um, I think that's a fun family family heirloom type fun fact to, to share.
0: Has anyone in like the generations below grandma done anything with the circus?
1: So not directly related. So I don't know but, uh, below grandma because there's not very many of us. What I will say is through her sister, however, her sister... Uh, moved on to do a ballet school, which was actually relatively well known in the Baltimore area for um, her time. Um, and I'm probably going to butcher her last name. So Aunt Ellen, I'm so sorry. <laughs> it would have been called the Jenny Stalsky School of Ballet, but I'm probably butchering that last name. <laughs> it's probably so- Nia Stalsky Jenny Ast- I don't know, Jenny Astalsky. we'll go with that. Go with that. Um, uh, so she had a very popular uh, school of dance, um, that was here in Baltimore for some time. And I think it actually went down in a little bit of a legacy. So I, I, I kind of see that in a, in a similar light.
0: Yeah. So it's not necessarily directly the circus, but still those dance acrobatic kinds mm-hmm. of things, um, yeah, probably totally. still very present.
1: That's so fun.
0: Yeah. So you decided to be a therapist and not in the circus.
1: Well, no, some, some days I still think about running away. So you You might find me in the circus one day.
0: You know, you just never know. There's, you know, some of us have hobbies as therapists too. So, you know, you never know. Too many of them sometimes so true for me, for, for sure. So true. All right. So um, I have talked uh, a little bit about school shootings um, previously. And if folks have seen anything on my, on my website, I talk about having hard conversations and how do we do that as parents, but I really want to hear your perspective on how, when, what age, what's it, what should it look like? You know, I, I think parents have a lot of questions around Mm-hmm. should i have this conversation if i should how should i do it how often should teachers be doing this is it their job to do it you know i think i think there's a lot of questions around this so so let's just dive right in jackie like where
1: do you want to start and let's break it down too because there's a lot to get through for this and i want to yeah. say first of all before i even get started with this whole spiel is my heart goes out to parents mm. Like, I have a whole lot of empathy uh, for people that even need that even need to be having this conversation. Yeah. The real answer here is I wish we didn't have to. Yeah. Um, But since we're not in that reality, um, we are, in fact, in the position of having to have these conversations with our kids. Yeah. And so let's start dissecting those multiple different questions that we have. At what age? Let's start there my recommendation, and and there may be people that disagree with this, is is as soon as they're ready to start school, as as if they're ready to start school, we don't need to be breaking it down uh, to the exact details of what school shootings are and why they happen at that age. But I think parents might be surprised what their kids might already know. Yeah. Just, just through listening to uh, adult conversations or just by looking, looking into uh, the news. I mean, sometimes the news is on in the background and and kids are much more sponges than than people sometimes give them credit for. So, you know, we, we might not jump into this conversation and say, hey, you know, Johnny, let's talk about school shootings. Why don't we just talk about safety first? Yeah. Yep. For the little kiddos. So for little kiddos, we are saying all right here are the safety precautions we need to know about school and there's a lot of them right So there's not just school shooting so this is a perfect opportunity to break down what fire drills are what sometimes other schools have uh different kinds of evacuations for for bomb drills and um, there's all kinds of drills happening all the time yep so these conversations should be what emergency drills take place at schools? What happens during these emergency drills? What to expect? And most of all, listen to your teacher.
0: That's good. I love this and you know here in Indiana we do tornado drills um, you know I remember even as a kid doing tornado drills um, and I think you're right you know our, our focus is especially for our little guys you know maybe even early elementary grades right like our K1 tours our preschoolers they' they're doing our preschools are doing fire drills yep in, in Indiana they may be doing tornado drills right so they're accustomed to this procedure. Right where they have to listen to their teacher because they have to know and prepare if something becomes unsafe. And so I love this kind of framework for parents to realize that a lot of kids are already in the habit, if they've been to school or are headed to school, they will be in the habit of doing these procedures that teachers frame around being safe. So what about our older kids then? maybe our upper elementary or teenagers, like, does the conversation change um, as kids get older?
1: Yeah, absolutely. We can start adding more detail. And this, of course, is dependent on the child's maturity level. Yeah. Um, and their, and their emotion, emotional capacity. So some kids have more emotional capacity than other kids. And so as the parent, it's hard for me without knowing your child to say, this is what you need to be doing with the child. Yep. So it, this is where I mean, you can get advice from another therapist or your direct therapist, or just you knowing your child well enough to know it's time to have, be having these conversations and how to break down. To start, take time for yourself. Mm, first. Yeah. Break down the points that you want to be making during this conversation. Uh, make sure you are navigating your own emotions i would absolutely encourage this to happen before the conversation and of course if these if these emotions do arise during a conversation that's natural it's understandable but try to see if you can cope with them first yeah because your child's emotions during this conversation are going to be your priority yeah and it's going to be very difficult if you're handling your own emotions While also handling your child's emotions during this conversation now that's probably going to happen anyway. But if you can try to mitigate it by practicing it in some sort of way, whether it's writing it down talking to another therapist talking to a friend talking to your partner, whoever it is on how we want what exactly we are saying um, and what we want to include are we including just the facts are we including the why is the what's the how's the the politics the like there's so many levels to these conversations that we can be having and and I, I imagine the more levels we have the older your child is going to be yeah and that would that would definitely what I would um, recommend in, in general is if you're adding more layers the more layers your older your child should be older for those layers.
0: You know, I often talk with folks about preparing and reflecting, and that's exactly what you're describing, right? You're kind of like preparing yourself and what you want the message to be, and then reflect on what your child needs based on their level of maturity and their level of, you know, like you said, emotional capacity. Even if you have a 14-year-old who you know has got sort of the maturity of like a nine or 10-year-old. You, you want to be aware of how much you're sharing so that, you know, at the end of the day, our goal is to help them feel safe. You know, yesterday I was um, interviewed for a, a media outlet and, and I was sharing that the most important part for us as parents is to have our kids at the end of this realize what the true level of risk is. Mm -hmm. right? There's a level of risk every time we step into a school building. That's true. But there's a level of risk every time you get in a car. Yes. Every time you get on a plane, like there's a level of risk. So I think us realizing that the true level of risk, we won't ever really know, but also having them see these things are about keeping them safe, but we're not trying to invoke fear right? We're not trying to have our kids be afraid. And so I think that's always the delicate balance for parents. I think they're afraid they're going to create anxiety in their kids. And so do you have any thoughts on how parents might be able to toe that line of, you know, having this conversation without it turning into, I don't want to go to school. I'm terrified. I don't want to
1: be there. I'm so glad that this part of the conversation came up. Um, And this is going to come from the parents' uh, delivery. Mm. Preach it, girl. And this this is going to be probably really hard for some parents to hear. But if your delivery is anxious and worried and scared, your child is going to perceive that as something they should be worried, anxious, and scared about. Yeah, yeah. Um, Not saying that that's the only thing that makes that happen. Yep. Yep. Because it's not and, yep. and because conversations are way more complex and we're even making them out to be even during this episode. Um, but I, it is a very um, primal part of conversation is how we uh, introduce the topic through our tone, yep. through our body language and through the words that we actually choose, which yep. is why the planning piece of it is so important.
0: And I love what you said earlier is like, actually say it out loud. Mm -hmm. You know, I talk with folks about this too, that writing it down and kind of thinking about it in your mind is so different (laughs) than when you like actually say the words out of your mouth. And so I often tell parents a very similar thing where it's like, go in your room and, you know, close the door. Don't let anybody know you're in there talking to yourself, Mm -hmm. but practice saying out loud, because I think what happens is sometimes we... Get into the habit of throwing words in there like, well, I'm really worried that you're going to get anxious if I bring this up. Maybe you didn't write that down on your notebook as one of your key points, but it just kind of naturally came out of your mouth because this is a sensitive topic for you or it's an anxiety provoking topic for you. So practicing gives you the opportunity to check that tone, to check that body language, to check the words that might slip out you know, and, and then I think you practice with your partner or friend, or, you know, maybe you do that first. I don't know. I don't know. What are your thoughts there?
1: Pra- practicing is key. Um And I really like the idea of like saying something out loud to, to check the actual words that are coming out of your mouth. Cause like you said, it is one thing to write things down and it's a whole nother thing to actually say things out loud. We fumble we, we get mixed up in the other person's body cues and and language, and we may also perceive those things to mean a certain thing. So this this street does work both ways. Um, with the practicing in mind, I would also practice was for what could go wrong mm. in this conversation.
0: Well, what could go wrong? Nothing could possibly go wrong here.
1: Man, what could could go wrong in this conversation?
0: What could go wrong? I'm writing this down. Okay, I'm ready.
1: (laughs) Watch for your child to become emotional, to become maybe even um, disturbed in a way that they could even behaviorally act out. They, They could become angry as a result from this conversation because there are so many emotional layers to this. And maybe this is the first time that they are actually processing this conversation out loud to somebody, anybody, that these emotions are now bottlenecking, uh, which could result into an explosion.
0: I think this is I, I want for folks to pause here and hear this, because in my, you know, almost 20 years of working with kids and families, I think about this example across all age groups where the power of being the therapist in the room with a parent and a child, is that my whole job is to just observe the interaction. You know this too, right? Where you're like, you're watching for the subtleties, the, the minor shift in the head, the, the turn of the shoulder, the, the change in the facial expression of the parent. Like those micro communications are exactly what you're talking about. So yeah, they may get they may get angry or sad or cry or whatever, but it's those other tiny micro communications of their shift in body language that we need to pay attention to with our, with our kids when we're having this conversation too. their communication may not always be through their words
1: mm-hmm. because
0: they may not know how to process this. Frankly, I'm not even sure how to process this, Jackie, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, there are moments where I'm still like, I do not understand what is happening in the world. So I think about this conversation and, you know, what could go wrong as I'm watching. I want for folks to really like put that in as part of your preparation to not just steam through this conversation, but to, to take your time, to be able, not just to focus on what you're saying, but how your child's receiving it. I think it's so important.
1: Really big tips that I could throw out there right now too, to remember for parents Tip number one, this conversation is not about you.
0: Oh boy. Okay. Say that one again.
1: <laughs> this conversation is not about you. Yeah. It is about your child and your child's safety.
0: Yeah. Both perceived and real, mm-hmm. right? Like their perceived right. safety is even maybe more important. I mean, obviously their real safety really matters, but, but they need to walk away from this. With a perception yes. that they they're going to be safe and they know what to do to be safe
1: 100 yeah my tip number two is that you have probably had a lot more time to process this information than they have remember yeah. that going into this conversation yeah preferably we are giving our child time beforehand to say i would like to have this conversation with you and then give them a time and day that you're going to be having this conversation, so they can prepare themselves as well.
0: Let's say under this heading of what could go wrong. Let's say the kid just as soon as you start talking about, like, you know, I want to talk about some things that could happen at school, and the kid is like, "No, I don't want to talk about it. I, it just makes me nervous. I don't want to talk about it at all. Like, I, I don't, I don't want to talk about it." How does how does a parent respond? Because I, I think I hear this question a lot, where they're like should I push through? Is this a tough love scenario or is this a honor where they're at kind of scenario? What do you do if the child just says, I don't want to talk about this?
1: I think this does depend on the child again. Yeah. Um, and I do think it's kind of a combination of both uh, honor the child and also kind of push through the conversation if you can. Um, but to do that first, we need to give them space to feel that. Yeah. To- honor what that feeling is, identify it. What are you feeling? Where does that feeling come from? Can you name it? Yeah. Well, I'm afraid it can be as simple as identifying a feeling to allow them to start opening up and, and and backing off of being so direct and saying, Oh, I want to I want to talk about school shootings. Now taking a step back and identifying and, and focusing on the feeling could be a side door to still talking about the conversation.
0: I mean, I think about how powerful that moment is if the parent allows it to be so powerful. Mm -hmm. You know, your child just was so vulnerable to say, I'm afraid. Mm -hmm. And I believe in all that I am that we have a lot of kids who are afraid. And, you know, many of them may be pushing through and just kind of pushing it to the back of their mind much like many teachers and administrators as they step into the building, they're afraid, but they push it to the back of their mind because work has to get done. I think we have a lot of kids who are afraid. And for them to admit that, our job is to pause. I love what you said, like give them space to have that feeling and sit with them in it and say, all right, let's talk about it. You know, what is it? How does it feel? Where do you? How do you know? Where does it feel in your body? Anything else that you tell parents to join their child in experiencing that emotion.
1: Sometimes sitting silently can Mm. be a powerful thing to do. I think it's a parent's knee jerk reaction to go in and with words to try to fix something.
0: Yep. Yep. That's true.
1: Your words cannot always fix things. And so sometimes, I mean, it depends on, again, it depends on your kid. At this point, your kid could get up and walk away from you. Yep. Um, So there's a lot of scenarios that would be too hard to go through each and every one of them and during this one talk right now. So I do want to I do want to make that point right now is I I, I, we are talking about this very specific situation where your child is comfortable talking to you, staying put and verbalizing their feelings. Yeah. For, For the child who is not staying put or is not verbalizing their feeling that is your cue to let them be. Mm. Th- that is the part that we are letting them be, but that doesn't mean a conversation is done.
0: Yeah, that it's never coming back. Yeah. Yeah. That's you remembering tip number one that mm-hmm. this conversation is not about you. Yeah. Right. By allowing the space for the teen or the child to just say, I can't do this right now. You know, I think about so many conversations that, you know, as a grown up. That I have said almost that same thing. I just can't do this right now. Mm -hmm. We give ourselves permission or we allow other people permission, but I think you're right. I think granting that same permission for our kids doesn't mean we're never talking about it again. It means we're allowing them to have the space they need.
1: And if you have a child who's really resistant or even has, you know, blocks against you in some kind of way, you still introduce the topic Tell them that you really still want to have the space to speak about it. Give them their time and space and maybe set up a family therapy session for this topic to take place in. So that way you have a mediator for both of you, for both of your sake, to help you navigate this conversation.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially if, you know, after the first try and the second try and the third try, it just feels like you know, they just don't want to have this conversation. And it, it, it's because they have so much fear or anxiety or, or kind of disturbance about it in some way.
1: Yeah. I mean, especially when we're talking about kids with uh, more complex diagnoses, like ADHD, or even oppositional defiance disorder. These are kids that need extra support. These are kids that may even need extra explaining extra patience, and this is why this this conversation is so nuanced, because there are too many variables here. um, To predict and so that's why it does come down to knowing your child, who are they what what their capacity is and if they have these layers of complexities then have somebody on your team help you have this conversation with them.
0: That's great okay so this question, I get a lot. You probably do too. How do I know if my kid's okay? Whether that's the teen who, um, accidentally I'm putting accidentally in air quotes, right? Accidentally, um, saw, you know, footage from one of the, you know, recent, uh, shootings, or it's your, um, your eight-year-old who came home after the active shooter drill and had lots of questions. Um, the, the child who um, saw on the news when you were watching it in the background and now has had trouble sleeping three nights in a row. How do we encourage parents to know, is my kid okay? And how would I know if they're not okay?
1: I think the first step is the most simple. Um, and I think it's one that kind of overrides our mind somehow. I, I don't, it's not it's everybody else. It happens to everybody is to ask them Mm. are you okay yeah isn't that (laughs) funny it really it really perplexes me but also like I'm not so you know like not so much because I understand that in our busy lives we're so focused on ourselves um, as adults and what's going on in our adult lives that we tend to forget unintentionally to actually say the words have you been doing are you okay step number one Step number two, if you've done that, your kid is writing you off, oh, I'm I'm fine, it's okay, nothing's bothering me, mom, just leave me alone. Mm -hmm. Um, Then those behavior things that you were already naming really come into play. So have they been sleeping? Are they off of their regular sleep schedule? Um, And can you identify why? If it's ran, if it it seems random to you that now all of a sudden they're not sleeping that's a flag for you to know. Uh, same thing with uh, school behavior. So if they're interrupting at school or if they're not paying attention at school or they're becoming argumentative or combative at school when they're not typically that way, that's an, I'm not even going to call these flags red flags, by the way, I call them flags. Yeah. Because they're not always red. Yeah. Sometimes these things happen and, and they, and, and the next thing, you know, they're back to being your child. Okay, so
0: any changes, so what I hear you saying is like, you know, changes in what they typically do, and whether that's Mm -hmm. at school or sleeping, you know, I often talk about changes in, you know, mood, behavior, sleeping, or eating, Um, any major changes that then you start to be like, okay, that might be a flag, Mm -hmm. but then I think, you know, I often tell folks that you want to look for a pattern, too, Mm -hmm. because I've had a bad day where I have just... (laughs) You know, probably have lots of flags, frankly, Jackie. <laughs> and if someone decided that I needed therapy based on that one day where I had flags, I'd probably be in therapy a lot. <laughs> so I think helping parents remember that we're looking for kind of a pattern or a trend. And so I use, you know, the rule of three, right? So if it's been kind of three days or kind of three times in the same class, or I don't know, what is your kind of rule of thumb for, for parents as they are trying to look for these changes in, in behavior or mood or sleep or whatever?
1: I I do like the ones that you already suggested, but I would also add who, who they're with. Mm. so is it around a particular person especially if they've met a new friend i think that's a common one yeah to start seeing these behavior shifts around a new person specifically a new friend yeah even before the topic of school shootings this was a very common thing to see in children that these children children will have these new behavior even new behaviors yeah. that they've never a parent has never seen before and it's it's typically trying by the fact that they are around this new friend. Um, So new friends, new people, um, new places don't come up as often um, because we're usually in control of the new places piece, but new new places still can happen, especially when, you know, a kid might be moving from classroom to classroom or, you know, uh, being shifted from a safe place to having to be in lockdown for, you know, practicing these drills. So if you know when these drills are happening, and you see these behaviors occurring, we have a correlation. So it it is a mindful practice and knowing like what is happening, who they're around, why is a little bit more achievable after we've already dissected these other pieces of it.
0: Yeah, so I think maybe what I'm hearing is, in addition to just basically asking them like, are you okay? Um, If you know there's been these changes, maybe the teachers mentioned something, maybe some additional Questions we could ask are, you know, have you been hanging out with any new friends? Is there any new drama at school, particularly if they're teenagers, right? Mm-hmm. With my little guys, sometimes I'll ask, has anyone been mad at you or have you been mad at anyone else? Our elementary kids really identify with with anger in friendships or has anybody made you feel sad? I think asking some of those questions might also get at the heart of this so that we can kind of wrap our heads around, like, are our kids doing okay?
1: Mm-hmm. Um, it I, that one does. It is for the long run too. So remember, you're not going to unpack this in one day.
0: Mm, yeah, it's good. Yeah, this conversation may go not just one time. We're having multiple small conversations, not just like one big talk where I'm telling you all the things.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I think parents may be surprised at, and kind of wrap around to one of the questions that you presented in, in the beginning of this conversation is. Teachers are starting to talk about this. So you may find your children coming home prepared to talk about this because teachers have been presenting this conversation at school.
0: And so I think what we're saying is get ready. Mm -hmm. If they haven't brought it up, they will. Yeah. So our job is to be ready so that we're not, you know, for lack of a better word, just sort of like freaking out in the middle of the conversation, trying to keep our, like trying to fix our face. You know, like those conversations, we never feel like they go well if we kind of approach those conversations in a, in a reactive way. So we're trying to be as proactive as possible. Um, I, you know, you, obviously what you said is true. The teachers are going to start or if they already have been talking about this, particularly older kids. But if kids have access to devices, they've probably come across social media posts or YouTube videos that, um, this is a little bit off topic, but my six-year-old today said, mom, um, I don't think I would like jail food. (laughs) I was like, bro, what are you talking about? And he was like, well, I saw this video where they were showing, this YouTube video where they were showing what jail food looked like and I don't think I would like it. Look, if they've got jail food on YouTube, they certainly have... up to date information on big uh, social events that are happening in our world, like school shootings. So, if your child has access to a, a device, they have seen it, or their teachers talking about it.
1: Mm-hmm. That I think that's a powerful thing to remember. Yeah, and they may they may have seen more than you want would want them that's, to see. That's true. Um, so I think a uh, another gentle reminder here is that you can't control everything. Yeah. While we would hope that our children know what to look at, know what not to look at, um, sometimes they're influenced, just like we're influenced, or sometimes it comes their way and they don't know what it is. Um, It's easy, really easy, too easy to come across these videos, these trends, these pieces of information on the Internet that expose our children to much more Then they may even be ready for.
0: Yeah. I was reading something once, and this isn't about school shootings, but it's kind of in line with this. But somebody was interviewed, some psychologist was interviewed, and you know, they asked, like, when is the appropriate time for a child to have a cell phone or a device? And the psychologist's response was whenever the parent is comfortable with their child seeing porn. It's not if the child is going to see inappropriate images. It's a matter of when. So I think that could be a conversation for a whole nother episode. Uh, You know, how do you keep inappropriate? How do we educate our kids on what's appropriate or inappropriate in the online world? But this is just another one of those hard conversations and hard topics for parents to figure out how to navigate. And I hope that parents can walk away with so many tangible things It's part of why I love the conversation um, and especially the conversation we had last time Mm -hmm. because you come with so many like practical nuggets, you know, where it's like, yeah, I think talking philosophically about big ideas is very, you know, fun, frankly. But I think parents listening want to know, like, what do I actually say? How do I actually do this? So thank you for being here again to share those pieces with parents in this hard conversation.
1: Yeah, I'm. I'm really happy that we could have it. Um, you know, in the in the sense that I could actually be happy about having this conversation. But, uh, you know, to to give people tools, to give parents tools on how to navigate these things, is so important. And and no, there's no perfect way. And if you're going to try to set up the best way, then practice is going to be your key to achieving that. And and just know that whatever you're feeling is also valid and that you are doing the best that you can for your kid.
0: Our kids know us and love us and they know that we love them. Mm -hmm. The bottom line here is you are, you're probably going to mess this conversation up. I, I mess this conversation up, right? The, the point here is not to make it perfect. I think that's what you just said, right? We're not trying to have a perfect conversation. We're trying to open the door to the conversation, practice it, prepare as best we can to do the best job we can, knowing that we're going to continue to have chances and our kids, if nothing else, are forgiving. forgiven all sorts of mistakes. Well, at least my kids are for crying out loud. The number of mistakes I've made in my life, they are just like, it's okay, mom, you know? (laughs) So, okay, Jackie, tell folks how, um, they might follow you or how do people know more about you?
1: So I uh, will be sending out my website to Beth. And when she sends out her links, you can reach out to me through my uh, website. Um, Right now I do not have a social media presence but that is uh, in the works. So Great. again again as long as you follow Beth you will have that access to my information and uh I'm sure uh, you'll see me here again as well. Yeah.
0: I am I would look forward to continuing uh you know to have these sort of hard conversations and all the different ways. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing um stepping into this hard conversation in a way that that can help empower parents and, and develop some confidence in them so that they can know that this conversation may feel really hard and overwhelming, but just kind of step-by-step remembering these things, preparing, practicing, it makes it just so much more attainable. So thank you for doing that for parents today.
1: No problem. I appreciate being here, Beth. Thank you for having me.
0: I'm excited for what, what we're going to do next too. So that's fun.
1: All right, y'all thanks for listening
0: and until next time uh, stay safe and stay well.